everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, and a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Doe in Denmark. And a brand new show open, Denmark. Appreciate that, brother. I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. Glad to be back with you after a one-night absence. Boy, 24 hours ago, I felt horrible. But it's one of those 24-hour bugs, I guess. My son, Little Hack, was nice enough to bring something home with him from VPK that absolutely crushed me uh, Tuesday night and into yesterday. But I'm back with you tonight. Glad you are joining us here on Hacker After Dark. All right. Uh, obviously, a lot to get into with the Trent Balky press conference from earlier today. That is certainly where we will begin in just a moment. I do want to tell you the guest lineup tonight starts in less than 20 minutes. My buddy Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Cecil will stop by, in, like I said, about 15 minutes or so. Get his thoughts on championship Sunday. Also get his thoughts on what's going on here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Cecil Shorts in about 15 minutes. And at 8.40 tonight, Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. He covers the NFL He's, he does a lot with the NFC East, and I want to bring Jeff on for a couple of reasons. One, to talk about the Jaguars' collapse, but two, how it ended for Doug Peterson in Philly had a lot to do with his relationship with Press Taylor. And are we seeing the developments of the same thing here in Jacksonville? Well, we'll talk to a guy that lived that, covering the Eagles when Doug Peterson was up there. So Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, he is coming up later on here in the 8 o'clock hour. We're with you till 10 o'clock. We're glad you're with us on a Thursday night here on Hacker After Dark. Every night here on HAD, we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke met the media today. Overdue in my opinion, but at least he finally did it. I think if you did not like the job Trent Baalke has done to this point, the press conference today did nothing to change your mind. If you think Trent Baalke's done an adequate job as general manager to this point, once again, the press conference today did nothing to change your mind. It's all about what you and your opinion is on Trent Baalke. I think Trent Baalke has probably gotten a C to C- minus as the Jaguar general manager. He's done some things that you cannot argue were very good. If you're going to kill him for bad things, and we will here in a second, you got to give him credit for Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram certainly, Foye Lewican. Zay Jones went healthy. 
He's brought in some good players in free agency. Draft-wise, Trayvon Walker looks like he's a player, right? Uh, Anton Harrison looks like he's a player. So it has not all been bad. It's not a failure. It's not an F for Trent Baalke. It's certainly not an A either. And the things that I did not like today that I heard at the press conference, to me, the cons outweighed the pros. When Trent Baalke sits up there today and says he doesn't want to focus on the past, he doesn't dwell in the past, well, then why are you holding a press conference, Trent? You had the biggest collapse in team history. Of course, we need to find out why that happened. Don't just say, well, I'm not going to focus on the past. Okay. You need to learn from the past, which apparently you did not do from your time in San Francisco to here from what we've been told by the people on the West Coast. Trent Baalke also says, again, that he does not necessarily think it was a bad decision for not bringing in veteran pass rushers. And that is where he's always lost me. If I can talk into this microphone every night, and I have since training camp started in July and well on back into minicamp, OTAs, et cetera, last year, and every night I told you, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You guys knew this. The Jaguars have nothing behind Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker as far as affecting the opposing quarterback. If I knew that, and if you knew that, then why isn't the Jaguar general manager making millions of dollars? Why didn't he know that? I believe he did. It's my opinion that he did. And it's also my opinion, and again, I don't know this for a fact, just stating my opinion, let me make that clear, that if they would have brought in a Clowney or a Van Noy or a Floyd from Buffalo, whoever, that that would have undermined the Trayvon Walker pick and made Balky look bad. When Balky sits up there today and says, well, we were Dewan Smoot was coming off an Achilles, you were counting on Dewan Smoot coming off an Achilles at Christmas to be an impact pass rusher for you this season? You're insane. That's nonsense. Then he says, Kalevon Chason earlier today. Kalevon Chason? The guy had three sacks in three years coming into this year. What are you talking about? Again, that's where Balky starts losing me. Arrogance, not incompetence. He's then asked about the offensive line. I like Luke Fortner as a person. I think Luke Fortner's got a spot on the 53-man roster. I think that when you get to training camp, Luke Fortner will be one of your 10 best offensive linemen. He should not be your starting center. I can see it. You can see it. We all can see it, with the possible exception of Trent Baalke. And that's going to be another one to follow this entire offseason. Will there be arrogance again? Again, not incompetence, but arrogance if Luke Forner is indeed the center in September on week one of opening day. Again, I think Forner is one of your 10 best O-linemen. I would have him here as depth. He certainly deserves to be on the roster. 
he should not be your starting center based on what I've seen after two years. Trent Baalke is a guy that's the smartest guy in the room, right? It's obvious when you talk to him that he knows everything and the media, we're just, we don't know anything. Like when Ballou today asked him the question about the pass rush, you could assign many veterans. Balky goes, well, I'd like to hear some names. And to Ballou's credit, he threw out three or four names. And Trent, do you think we were born yesterday? Do you not think we know what we're doing? Apparently, you don't think we know what we're doing. But we do, and the fan base does. And we know that you haven't done a very good job. You did an awful job last year. Think about this. Going into the offseason last year after the loss to the Chiefs in the playoffs, what were the biggest positions of weakness on this football team? The things that needed to be worked on the most. Drops among wide receivers were a big deal last year. Guess what? They still are. Short yardage was a big deal last year. Guess what? It still is. Affecting the opposing quarterback was a big deal last year. And you guessed it, it still is. They did not answer one question going into last offseason to where they are now in 12 months. What is your general manager's job? To make the roster better, to find positions of weakness and improve that over an entire offseason. Trent Baalke chose to run it back. Keep the band together. They were 9-8 and eight in 2022. But let's run it back. You lose Jawan Taylor, you bring in Calvin Ridley. Every other starter was the same. And you went from a 9-8 team in 2022 to, you guessed it, a 9-8 team in 2023. Now, Trent Baalke was the general manager, the assistant GM, when Dave Caldwell was finishing up his run of destroying this franchise in 2020. So I don't blame him for 2020. Again, that's Caldwell. Caldwell was awful for eight years. Awful. Balky has not reached the levels of Dave Caldwell awfulness. 2021's when Trent Balky officially got the job and the Jaguars won three games. They were awful. But they went from three wins to nine wins. And then from nine wins to nine wins. So you can't say it's all been doom and gloom. It's all been a failure. It has not all been a failure under Trent Balky. I see what you guys post on social media. I understand the rhetoric. I understand your sentiment. But if you're going to be objective, if you're going to be honest, if you do not want to be disingenuous, Trent Baalke has improved this roster. From where it was in 2021 to where it is now, it is a better roster. Thus, his tenure as GM cannot be considered a flat-out failure. It can't be. From three wins to back-to-back nine-win seasons. But that also means that he has not made the honor roll either. He's not exactly an A student. That's why, again, I would put him as grade C, C-. minus. Free agency, I think he's done adequate. Draft has left a lot to be desired. 
I'm not ready to kick Trent Baalke out the window and on down the road and go get whoever. I don't think he's out to destroy this franchise. Some of your rhetoric on social media is quite frankly comical. But I do think he needs to do a better job. And I do think he needs to stop with the arrogance. Anybody could tell you they needed help on the pass rush last year. Anybody. They chose not to do it. Why? I believe it was arrogance. Will his arrogance get in the way again this year? Or was last year a good learning tool for a 59-year-old general manager that maybe you're not the smartest guy in the room? Maybe you need to listen to others around you and improve the roster. I hope so. Jaguars run it back again. They're not going to win this division. Houston's already passed you. You need to catch Houston now. You need to do things to improve this roster. And let me tell you what you need to do. Just what you needed to do 12 months ago, Trent. Get better in short yardage. Get better at affecting the opposing quarterback. Stop dropping so many passes. Stop getting your quarterback killed. All things that we were talking about 12 months ago. Don't be arrogant. This time, get it right and improve the team. 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts joins me next. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk Trent Balky. Let's talk Championship Sunday. It is a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're glad you're with us with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Championship Sunday, the final four of the NFL. Of course, in the NFC, Detroit and San Francisco. On the AFC side, Kansas City and Baltimore. The two winners will advance to Super Bowl 58. And here on the home front, a lot of interesting things going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars. With all that being said, let me welcome in my buddy Cecil Shorts, former wide receiver here in Jacksonville. He's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, how you doing, man? I'm well, brother. Excited for Championship Sunday coming up. Excited to be on with you. Hey, buddy, we certainly appreciate it. And we'll get to Championship Sunday in just a moment. Uh, new defensive coordinator, Cecil, Ryan Nielsen. And I'm not going to ask you to break down the X's and O's of the former Falcon D coordinator, but two weeks of grieving, I guess, and being angry and upset, and they fire the D.C. Now you bring a new D.C. into the building. He'll start assembling a staff. I guess now is the point where the Jaguars try to put the pieces back together and start focusing on 2024. Yeah, this is this is a part of the process, right? Um, I'm not sure if it's a huge name that you brought in. Um, just looking at his statistics when he was with the Falcons last year, kind of 18th in points and uh, 23rd um, or 11th in yards allowed. So it was a decent year for him. Uh, the, in, anything the Falcons did didn't necessarily stand out. But can he come in here and rejuvenate the guys and, and get these guys going? That's what you want to find out. That's when you bring a new piece in. Um, can he get the guys in the building and bring some more guys with them via draft free agency to – buy into what style of defense he wants to play. And then hopefully this can be like a um, a situation where it, it, it embarks a new 
uh, or some fresh from freshness on the defensive side and, and really get things going. Um, Cause you already got some good pieces. You got some good safeties. You got some good D linemen. Um, is need to continue to get those pieces in and, and, and see what you can do. So I'm, I'm curious to see what Ryan can bring to the table and uh, get these guys going. I have no doubt you had a lot of different coordinators during your time in the NFL. What is that process like? Nielsen gets hired. Does he reach out to all the defensive guys? I mean, how does that process work in the offseason? Well, you know what? In Jacksonville alone, I had, I think, three coordinators, three offensive coordinators in Jacksonville alone, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Dirk Cutter. I forgot the guy number two, and then Jed Fish, who's actually the head coach of University of Washington right now. So good for him. Um, but it's a you bring in, they reach out to the new guys that come in. They'll reach out to the players uh, either beforehand or if they're in the building. They'll come up, introduce themselves, talk, get to know the guys. More more likely the key guys, right? So more likely the bigger names or come kind of the glue guys that or on the defensive side or offensive side of the ball, introduce each other, give them their ideas, some of their just basic game planning. Um, and then uh, not wouldn't say game plan, but just some basic ideas, how they want to use you. And they kind of kind of build relationship from there. But it's going to be important to Ryan to really start building relationship as soon as possible. Cool. You should call Josh Allen. You should call, <laughs> you should call Walker. You should call these guys. Um, hey, I'm happy to be here. Can't wait to get, get, get things going. Um, and as time goes on, start picking their brain or start texting them. Hey, you see that sack? I would love to see you in that situation um, come next year and in the fall. Um, to start building that relationship with them so that players feel comfortable working for you. They get comfortable getting to know you. Um, I think that's a pivotal part of being a new coordinator in a uh, on a new team. Get to know the players, get to know some of the leaders on that team. So that way, if, they, if the leaders are buying into what you're preaching, others can follow. Former Jacksonville Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts here with us. It was interesting with Ryan Nielsen, co-defensive coordinator in New Orleans. He only had the defensive coordinator job by himself for one year in Atlanta. You and I were talking about Leslie Frazier and Ron Rivera and Wink Martindale and all these guys with a ton of experience. Does it surprise you, Cecil, that 44-year-old Ryan Nielsen, who was only the coordinator by himself in Atlanta for one year, that he ultimately got the job? Yes and no. Um no, because it's a relational business. <laughs> so I'm sure Ryan knows somebody that knows somebody that knows <laughs> knows somebody um, in that realm. But also, I think it depends on, um, and I say yes because of those names that are out there. But if you want a, a fresh mindset, um, a fresh guy, somebody that has these brand ideas, and I'm sure he interviewed well, why not take a shot? Why not take a chance on on, on, a, on a different type of guy and give, and give him a shot to be a defense coordinator by himself? So um, I'm excited about the choice. Just really want to see what he brings to the table as far as scheme, um, as far as different pieces he wants to bring in. Um, but I'm not surprised by it. It's just not a big name that we kind of thought that uh, would be in, you know, in, in, in question. Pete Prisco, a guy you know very well, covered the Jags for many years, now national, mm -hmm. CBSSports.com, had some really interesting comments on our radio station earlier this week about – Trent Baalke, and was there a thought about retirement? And uh, is there issues with he and Doug Peterson regarding Press Taylor? And, you know, Shad Khan obviously looks like he's still being very loyal to Baalke. And just a lot of stuff, right? A lot of stuff was thrown out there. And I tend to agree with Pete. I mean, I think Pete knows some things. He's a very well-respected guy in the industry, and I don't think he's going to throw anything like that out there without having pretty concrete info that 
at least some of that was going on. Is that fixable in the offseason? Because when you throw that much stuff out there, Cecil, common thought is at least some of it probably has to be true. It's it's fixable. Um, but the question is, do the two men want to fix it? Right? Are the two men willing to, okay, listen, we're in this together. We're on the same team. Let's come to an agreement on how we're going to do things moving forward. Or let's come to an agreement on, hey, I think we should do A, B, and C, whatever the case may be, right? Um, but I think it's how you handle those disagreements which make that relationship work or not. Um, and, and, it's, and it's tough because when you start 8-3 and three and then you start losing all these games and you fall out the playoffs um, and all this stuff happens, there's – a finger to point always when you're losing. There's always somebody's going to take the blame. There's always somebody that always somebody's going to feel pressure. There's always somebody that's like, hey, um, we should do it this way. We should do it that way when things aren't working out. So as men, they seriously need to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I believe it's something there. I truly do for, for multiple reasons. Uh, one being Prescott's not going to throw anything out there. He's a very talented dude, um, known, for, known for a long time. Um, but two, this is what happens. I've seen it firsthand in organizations that lose. There's rifts. There's arguments. There's things that get leaked out. That's a part of being in a situation that's not ideal right now. And I don't think the situation as an organization, you're in a bad spot. I just think the season ended bad, and they're trying to find ways to, 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 to figure out and get better, right? Um, there's a lot of anticipation coming into the year a lot of high expectations and you kind of start off eight and three again, and then boom, life hits you fast. <laughs> so with that being said, these two dudes need to sit down after that for a disappointing into the 2023 season and figure out how are we going to work together moving forward, but they got to put the egos aside. They got to understand they're not going to always agree, um, but they can make this work. They can fix things. It's just going to take those two guys to really put, Egos aside and really sit down and say, okay, what do we got to do to make this work? Do we make this team better because we're on the same team? We want to see this team win and ultimately get a Super Bowl. Former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts here with us. And, you know, final Jaguar-related topic before we get in to Championship Sunday. I mean, the bottom line is the fan base is still upset. But loyalty, there's something to be said for loyalty, right? And it appears Shad Khan is very loyal to Trent Baalke. It appears Doug Peterson is very loyal to Press Taylor. And those are... Those are ties that don't seem to be a wavering at all. So I do hope that they can come to some sort of agreement. And I said earlier uh, after the season, look, when you win six in a row and you're America's darling and you come back from 27 down and beat the Chargers, you know, everybody's roasting marshmallows and kumbaya mm -hmm. and, and s'mores mm -hmm. and all that. It's when you start losing that you really start mm -hmm. telling about people. And that is not a good look, at least right now. And I, I tell you what, if you if these two guys can't get things – uh, put things aside and get things going, you're going to divide the locker room because it starts up top. So if your GM and your head coach aren't in agreement, and then guys are going to start taking sides. Guys are going to start naturally taking sides to either or, and that what destroys a team and destroys an organization, right? Um, so it's going to be big for these two guys to really sit down, like have it out, whatever they got to do, and get on the same page moving forward and be united moving forward for the sake of the team. Because naturally, when there's arguments, when there's rumblings, when there's rifts, when there's when there's losing involved, fingers are pointed and people cling to one side or the other. So they got to get a hold of this now and be united moving forward. And I go back to Detroit, right? Detroit, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell came in together. 
they were on the yep. same page and rebuilding it. Obviously, Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson did not come in together, and I'm always weary about that. We saw a prime example in Tennessee. Vrabel was there for five years. Rand Carthon comes in, and Vrabel's gone a year later. So you got to be careful when you don't bring in your GM and your head coach together. That gets us to Championship Sunday, Cecil. Before we do that, a quick thought on the Texans. You live out in Houston. You're also a former Texan wide receiver. Not the ending that they wanted, but I thought it was funny. You know, Will Anderson in the, I guess, the locker clean-out on Monday basically said something along the lines of, people don't realize how good we're going to be next year. Will, you might want to call Duval County because they were saying the same thing about us 365 days ago. So that's an interesting mindset to have. I think Houston will be good, but you got to be careful you don't read your press clippings like I think Jacksonville did last year. You know what? Dan Marino one time, rookie year, took him to the Super Bowl, and then never went back. <laughs> you got to be careful what you're saying. And I think that's a unique thing about having a young team. Um, you want them confident, you want them excited, but you gotta you gotta be humble. You gotta understand how hard it is to get uh, to the playoffs or have a winning scene, or even how to get to a Super Bowl, right? And you have a long way to go to be in that category. So um, those guys got to be humble. They should be good next year. They should be. The expectation is different. Next year, you're not gonna be able to sneak up on nobody. Next year is not gonna be. Oh, we don't expect anything from a rookie quarterback or whatever. Nobody's a rookie no more. Nobody's expecting um, you guys to go out there and lose. You proved you can be a winner. You're ten and seven. Um, so now the expectation is going to be pretty high. So now it's about living up to the expectation. Um, it's not as easy. It's not as easy as everybody thinks. It's not that simple. They will just get right back. Other teams are getting better. Other teams are going to work hard. Um, so they got to make sure they're humble <laughs> moving moving forward and continue to put the work in. Cecil, let's get to championship Sunday. Let's begin in the American Football Conference. I mean, what else do you really need to say, right? Lamar Jackson on one side, Patrick Mahomes on the other for the right to go to the Super Bowl. And I was stunned when I saw that as the Ravens, the Baltimore organization has never hosted an AFC championship game, which is nuts Hello. to think about how good they've been really since they moved there Hello. in the mid-90s. This will be the first AFC title game in Baltimore since 1971. Wow. Yeah. I had the I same reaction. Assumed, I assume because all the great players of Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs and Flacco and – just the, the times they had, and they had actually hosted the AFC Championship, but I guess not. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a hell of a game. It, it, it really, really is. Um, it, honestly, I just think it's Lamar's time. <laughs> I just think he knocked the rest off last week. The first half was the rest. Second half, he was back on. I think the team, as a team, the Raiders made great adjustments. They're coached well, man. They are coached extremely well, but. Um, it's going to be a great game because Andy Reid is somebody on the other side that just understands how to play football and how to win football games. Um, six straight AFC championship. I tell you what, if, if, if Patrick wins this game, he has to be in the GOAT conversation as of right now. Mm -hmm. As of right, right now. Um, that's how special he's playing. Early in the year, nobody saw this coming. I, I, I didn't see it coming. Like, These guys can't catch. <laughs> They're frustrated. Kelsey looks old. Um, and they just find a ways to win and they do it over and over and over again. That's a credit to the greatness um, of Andy Reid and Mahomes and those guys just finding ways to – or creating space for these guys to get open and make plays and the defense doing enough to to, to be uh, – to get stops. But um, it's going to be a great game in Baltimore. I expect to – I don't know what the outcome would be, but I think it's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. we got to go quick because I want to get to the NFC game, but does Lamar need the Cecil for his legacy or whatever you want to call does. it? He does. He does. It'll always be a knock on him. You can't play quarterback that way. 
So I was going to be knocking him because he's not the average, uh, he's not a prototypical look alike for a quarterback, right? Um, he's an African-American quarterback with hair coming down over his face. He talks different. Um, swag is different. Um, and he's a different type of quarterback. He's a, more of a, he's becoming a passer. And I love to see that. Um, Cause when he first came to the league, he was an athlete. He was a thrower, not a passer. A thrower is different than a passer. A passer, you can go through your progressions, find the guy, guy, throw it to an open hole, a thrower, you're just throwing the ball to a person. Right. Um, so he's developed for sure. But for him and his legacy, um, he'll probably win MVP this year with his legacy. He needs to win this Super Bowl, win his game and win the Super Bowl, in my opinion. And that'll shut everybody up. Cecil to the NFC quickly, Detroit, San Francisco. If you don't live in the Bay Area, if you're not a member of the 49ers organization or a family member, I think everybody else on the planet's rooting for Detroit. You want to talk about America's <laughs> darling with Dan Campbell and Amon Ross, St. Brown, and they're certainly fun to root for. Yet San Francisco survive in advance, right? I don't think they outplayed Green Bay, but they found a way to win. And at this time of year, that's all that matters. That's that's all that matters. You literally want to survive in advance like it's March Madness, right? Um, it's going to be a heck of a game. It's going to be a physical game because the way that the 49ers play and how they were built, offense line, defense line, and the way that Dan Campbell's building the Lions, it's going to be a physical, physical, physical game. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm definitely rooting for Detroit. They've never been to the Super Bowl before. That'll be fun to see. Um, so I'm I'm interested in this game probably, I wouldn't say more, but for different reasons in the AFC. AFC, you want to see the, the, the quarterbacks go head-to-head. You want to see Lamar, you want to see Patrick. In this game, it's going to be some good football, some old-school, physical, downhill running football, um, some great schemes probably from Shanahan, some great physical running styles from David Montgomery and, and, and the rookie from Alabama, uh, uh, Gibbs. So it's going to be exciting to see these guys play. And I'm not going to lie to you, I want to see Detroit win. <laughs> I want to see Detroit win. It's a good story for the city, uh, for the quarterback, Golf, who was traded. Um, it's just a good story all around for Dan Campbell and the whole organization. Who wins, Cecil? What matchup do we have in Super Bowl 58? Lions, Ravens. And Super Bowl 58. Oh, that would be Super fantastic. And, you know, look, this is a situation <laughs> where I don't even think it matters. You're going to have a great game regardless. But, boy, Lamar going up against Detroit, can you imagine the buildup to that game? Oh, man. No question about it. Cecil Shorts is our guy, former Jaguar wide receiver. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Cecil, appreciate it, man. Next time you and I talk, we will have a Super Bowl to look forward to. Thank you, my friend. Hey, thanks you, brother. There you go, Cecil Shorts here with us every week on Hacker After Dark. And, you know, a lot of people are going Baltimore and Detroit. I'll pick the games tomorrow. I'm leaning one of those and not the other one. I just got a feeling that we're going to have a different outcome than Baltimore and Detroit in the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. Speaking of the championship games. We've been to San Francisco already. Tonight, we will go to Detroit. Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News covering the Detroit Lions joins us in the 9 o'clock hour. Tomorrow night, we will go to both Kansas City and Baltimore to preview the AFC championship game. Also in the 9 o'clock hour tonight, Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. Coming up next, my guy Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. Little interesting take here, different take. Jeff is national on CBSSports.com, but he lives in the Northeast. He covers the NFC East um, for CBS Sports, does a lot of work with the Philadelphia Eagles, where Doug Peterson 
and Press Taylor once were. I want to talk to Jeff Kerr about the Doug Peterson, Press Taylor situation in Philadelphia, and are we seeing a sequel of that here in Jacksonville? Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, next on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Championship Sunday on the horizon, the NFC title game, Detroit at San Francisco. Of course, the AFC title game, Kansas City and Baltimore. The winners advance to Super Bowl 58. We got a new defensive coordinator with the Jaguars, and there's a lot going on. Jim Harbaugh now back in the National Football League. Let's talk about all of it with my buddy Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. He does a terrific job covering the NFL, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jeff, how we doing, man? Hey, pretty good, Ryan. You know, uh, just kind of unpacking what's going on in Philadelphia. I'm sure you guys are doing the same thing in Jacksonville. But, hey, we still got three games left in this season, so it ain't over yet. Uh, that's a good point. We'll get to Championship Sunday coming up in a moment. You do a lot with the NFC East. You do a lot with the Philadelphia Eagles. And you and I were talking beforehand, boy, the parallels between Philadelphia and Jacksonville this year. You go back to Thanksgiving, Jeff. You could argue Philly and Jacksonville were but two of the top five teams in the NFL. And good gracious, the collapses of both. Jacksonville collapses to the point where they lose the division and the playoffs. Philly collapses to where they lose the division. They get into the playoffs but don't even show up and get blown out wild card weekend. Boy, what falls from grace for both teams this year? Yeah, and – you know, just watching Jacksonville from the outside looking in. And again, I'm watching these Jaguars games. I kept saying to myself, there's no way they're going to blow this division. I don't care how good Indy looks. I don't care how good Houston looks. Jacksonville will figure out a way to win this division. And it just never happened. I, I don't think they won a game. What, what They didn't win a game since like week 13, right? They, uh, they lost five out of six. The only game they won was they beat a high school team in the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and I don't think they looked that great doing that. Like, so – when the Eagles were facing Tampa in the wild card round, I knew Tampa was going to beat them. But I said, you know, maybe the Eagles can get everything together because Tampa did not look good against Carolina. And Tampa just blew the doors off them. It, it, it's between both teams. And again, it, it's funny how the Doug Pearson connection works here. They just went on historic collapses and now their front offices have to answer for it. You know, you mentioned Doug Peterson. You covered Philadelphia when Doug Peterson and Press Taylor were up there. I can tell you down here in Jacksonville, uh, the fan base is frustrated with two people, basically, Trent Baalke and Press Taylor. When Press Taylor was in Philadelphia with Doug Peterson, we know there were issues there that resulted in Doug no longer having that job. Take us through that, and do you see similarities to what's going on here in Jacksonville? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, Ryan. So basically, when Doug Peterson fired his offense coordinator after the 2020 season, he wanted Press Taylor to be the guy. And Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman said no. So what happened was they basically gave Doug, Doug an ultimatum. Okay, you get rid of him or you're gone. And Doug goes, well, I don't feel like that should happen because I won you your Super Bowl. I got you a Super Bowl here. I don't get the opportunity to fix it. See you later. And, you know, they obviously took the year off, and that's how he ended up in Jacksonville, and he brought Press Taylor with him. And 
I just don't get the love affair he has with this guy. Like, it's clear Trevor Lawrence regressed this season with Press Taylor calling the plays. Doug called the plays year one, and you saw the result. It's almost like he's trying to force Press Taylor into a head coaching job that no one wants to give him. It's weird, right? I think my I said earlier this offseason, a couple of weeks ago after the season ended, your goal in life is to be is to find somebody as loyal to you as Doug Peterson is to Press Taylor. I mean, there is something to be said for loyalty, Jeff, but at some point it can be a flaw, can it not? Oh, yeah. So you, you live and, and die by the people you hang out with, right? And it's the same way with Doug and Press Taylor. Like, Doug, it, Doug gets fired from Jacksonville for whatever reason because he's attached to Press Taylor. No one's ever going to hire him again because of that. And, you know, Mike Caldwell ended up being the fall guy. Someone had to be the fall guy. So it ended up being Mike Caldwell. But, you know, Pre- you could easily argue Press Taylor's dismissal, dismissal was crucial. But, and again, now you got people questioning nationally, how good is Trevor Lawrence? Is this guy any good? You, it's, this should not be a thing. It, 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 I, I just don't understand why you need Press Taylor to be successful. There are other people around this league. Like Doug Peterson got Rick Scangarello um, in 2020 to be like the passing game coordinator. And Carson Wentz got worse. So we got rid of him. I don't know why he can't do the same with Press. Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. And the one flaw for Jacksonville, Jeff, and you and I talked about this this offseason, and at the time – I drank the Kool-Aid, too, so I'm guilty of it, I guess. Last year, 2022, the Jaguars did not go 14-3, and right? They did not go, you know, 12-5. and They were a 9-8 and football team that had to win five in a row to get into the playoffs. They had the massive comeback against the Chargers. But for general manager Trent Baalke on the surface to say, you know what, we're going to run it back. We're good. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to add anybody. We're going to let the young guys develop. And then a bad draft class later, you don't do anything in free agency. And what do you know? A nine and eight team in 2022 was a nine and eight team again in 2023. Hindsight's 2020, and I get that, but that looks like a major flaw for Trent Baalke and his thinking last year. Oh, yeah. And what didn't help is the rest of the division got better. Remember, that division absolutely sucked last year. The culture were a joke, the Texans were a joke. I mean, who would have thought the Texans would go nine and eight with CJ Stroud? And were they nine eight or were they ten? So I, I forget the record already. Yeah, the, te- the ten and seven was Houston. Yep. Yeah, th- that, that's right, ten and seven. And yeah, I knew I had to correct myself there. But who would have thought that they'd be this good this fast? Who? And I knew Shane Steichen was going to succeed in Indianapolis. Um, but he didn't have Anthony Richardson, and the Colts were on the doorstep of going to the playoffs. They needed to beat the Texans to go to the playoffs. Jacksonville. It's so weird just what happened. It's almost like they were stagnant, right? It, it, and again, you look at the record, 9-8, eight, 9-8. Eight. They, they, they were stagnant, and everybody else got better. But maybe – and again, I, I, I was following you, following guys like Rick Belue, guys like that. It just seemed like the expectations were higher because you were this close to beating the Super Bowl champions in the divisional round of the playoffs at their own place. So you figure the expectation is you get at least back there. No matter the cost, yeah, you make the playoffs. And you're right. Like, Jacksonville hung their hats on, well, we had our big off-season acquisition in midseason last year in Calvin Ridley, and they re-signed Evan Ingram, who had another good year, but the offensive line was still bad. Uh, they, they missed a lot of tackles on defense. The secondary wasn't that great. It's 
you know, it, it was almost like it was just the same team, but the quarterback regressed. Yeah, you will not have that situation this offseason, I can assure you. There's going to be a lot of change here in Jacksonville. I want to get to Championship Sunday, but you mentioned Mike Caldwell. You covering the NFC East in Philadelphia. Mike Caldwell, the Jaguar D coordinator that was fired two and a half weeks ago, reportedly has an interview or had an interview in Philadelphia. Now the Vic Fangio news out of Miami comes out, so that may end that speculation. But what about Mike Caldwell in Philly? Is there anything there? You know, before the whole Vic Fangio thing, I, I would have said it was a possibility. But I remember we were talking when I was asking you about Caldwell. That's what prompted me to put out my tweet. Hey, if you, you like missed tackles, if you like guys not in assignment, and Mike Caldwell's your guy, right? You know, it's – but and I, I heard so many people backlash me on that. How can you say that? How can you say that about him? He's, he's a good guy. He's, I'm like, I didn't say he was a bad guy. I just said, uh, you know, if you want the same as last year, Mike Caldwell's it, you know, because that's what the Eagles – experience with with their defense and Sean Desai it's the the communication issues were terrible um between the secondary and the linebackers they they didn't have the personnel either I I I mean let let, let's be clear if maybe Mike Caldwell would have been successful in Jacksonville if he has better personnel same with um if if he came to Philly because I I think the Eagles are going to completely revamp that defense this offseason so I mean would I have been on board with it no, but I'd be willing to give it a shot. But I, I, I think people in Philly overvalue Mike Caldwell more than people in Jacksonville or, you know, pe- you know, just across the National Football League. I mean, you guys get fired for, for a reason, right? Yeah, they do. And you mentioned the fall guy aspect. I think if you ask Jaguar fans of the three, Mike Caldwell, Press Taylor, Trent Balky, Caldwell was the third of those problems, the two that are still here in Trent Baalke and Press Taylor, but we'll see what happens moving forward. A couple of more for Jeff Kerr of CBSSports.com. Jeff, I want to get to the games in a moment, but a couple of things that have happened in the coaching carousel. Jim Harbaugh back in the National Football League with the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. Your initial reaction to that news? I love Justin Herbert with Jim Harbaugh. I'll say that. There's a guy who's taught to Justin Herbert a lot, and Justin Herbert has given me a lot of uh, opportunities for big interviews over the years. And, you know, I couldn't be more happy for him, um, you know. But, again, I am lukewarm. I'm always lukewarm with Jim Harbaugh because I think Jim Harbaugh knows exactly when to bolt something. But look when he left the 49ers. They were starting to go downhill. Jim Harbaugh, I, I don't know what the – what the deal was with Trent Baalke, Jim Harbaugh could say whatever he wants. He had a hand in that draft process with Trent Baalke, and they were not drafted good players in San Francisco. The window was closing. He had an opportunity to go to Michigan. He left. Michigan now, again, he left at its highest point. They're, but sanctions may hit them. And Jim Harbaugh, all of a sudden, let's go back in the NFL. So, again, great opportunity with the Chargers. I think he's going to win a lot of games there. I think Justin Herbert's going to be as successful as he could be there. Love Jim Harbaugh, the coach, but there's a lot of baggage that comes with him. So, again, I, I just don't like how he leaves places. That's my issue with Jim Harbaugh. No, I, I don't disagree, and, and we'll see what happens. The one thing you can say about Harbaugh, you look at his track record, wherever he goes, there's instant improvement, either on the college game or the NFL game. So we'll see what ultimately happens with the Chargers. And, and Jeff, quickly, we haven't talked a lot about this, and I don't want you to go two X's and O's, but because it is in the AFC South, Brian Callahan, formerly of Cincinnati, the OC, takes over the Tennessee Titans as their brand-new head coach. And it's funny, right? The offseason is is the months of hope. 
And if you look at Titans Twitter or Titans Media, they think Brian Callahan's the greatest hire on planet Earth. You look at the national guys, and some people are poo-pooing the idea of Brian Callahan taking over in Tennessee. What was your thought there? I'm like, you fired Mike Vrabel for Brian Callahan? That's the best you could do? Uh, that, that that initially was my thought. I'm like, I, I didn't think Mike Vrabel was the problem in Tennessee. But apparently now you don't play in it. Mike Vrabel was with Tennessee since 2017, I believe. I'm trying to remember his first year. Yeah, he was there but six this, years. Yeah, but this was the first year Mike Vrabel played, coached a regular season game that he was eliminated from the postseason. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I mean, that just shows that like, you're in it every year. And he got fired for that because they're rebuilding. Well, why wouldn't you want to rebuild with Mike Vrabel? I guess they, they just wanted to change things up. And maybe they wanted an offensive coach. And I, I, I don't get Like, I, I like Ryan Callahan. I like the job he's done with Joe Burrow. But it's just and, – and, again, maybe it's just the national media thing in me. It's not a sexy name, but then again, as we know, most of the sexy names, they seem to succeed, uh, the non-sexy names. So maybe it's good for Tennessee, but again, when you look at this division, Shane Steichen ain't going anywhere, D'Amico Ryan's ain't going anywhere, Jacksonville's still good. I, I just don't see Brian Callahan succeeding with this team right away. Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. All right, Jeff, there are still games to be played, as you mentioned Let's begin in the National Football Conference. If you don't live in the city of San Francisco or if you're not affiliated in any way with the 49er organization, odds are you're rooting for the Detroit Lions on Sunday. They seem to be America's darling. People would love to see them in the Super Bowl. San Francisco, probably the better team on paper. What's your thought, Detroit and San Francisco on Sunday? Oh, I'm the fan in me and Dan Campbell. I love Dan Campbell. And, you know, talking to Mom Ross St. Brown over the years and hearing some of the stories about Dan Campbell, you can't help but be captivated for that Lions team and what they're doing. And I do think the 49ers are the better team. But if Detroit can – if they can control the Lions scrimmage, which I actually think is the 49ers' bigger weakness, right, which is crazy to think on defense with Nick Bosa, Chase Young, and Javon Hargrave, but Detroit's offensive line can shut them down. And a lot of teams have been able to do that, including Baltimore. To me, with San Francisco, I, I and again, I, I think this is more of, I think there's, a, there's an entitled sense of arrogance with the 49ers for a team that doesn't win much. Or, or, or wins, I, I shouldn't say that. They win a lot, but they don't win the ultimate prize. But they have this mindset. Well, we have this guy on the field, and this guy on the field, and this guy on the field. We're going to beat anybody. Well, you had them on the field against the Baltimore Ravens, a team just as good as you, and you did not win. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think Detroit can win the game, but I think San Francisco is going to be going to the Super Bowl. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I kind of uh, I'm on that same line of thinking. If the game was in Detroit, I might think differently. I just think it's going to be hard for Detroit to go out there to the Bay Area and come out with a win. And then obviously Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes for the right to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, what else really needs to be said? But I guess one of the storylines here, Jeff, does Lamar Jackson need this game for whatever verbiage you want to use, his legacy, if you will, what opportunity Lamar has here on Sunday? I really do think it it will improve his legacy if he could beat Patrick Mahomes at home in an AFC championship game. And really, he should. Baltimore is the better team than Kansas City this year. Uh, But you can't go against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and I'll be covering this game on Sunday. So I'm intrigued to see what happens. But 
I just think it's funny that Chiefs all year, they just don't look like the Chiefs. And then the playoffs come and, oh, Andy Reid's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes just turns it on. It's like a, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a Tom Brady-esque type thing with Patrick Mahomes. And I, I got to say this too, Ryan, as a guy who really likes Patrick Mahomes, again, interviewed him plenty of times over the years. I hate when people say he'll never be the GOAT because he could beat Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. I, I'm sorry, but Patrick Mahomes, just, he is this generation's Tom Brady. He just keeps winning and winning and winning, and he's got the coach. He, he, honestly, he's not – he's got a coach that helps him succeed. I don't know if Bill Belichick did that on the offense. Well, he's not an offensive coach anyway, but it's hard to go against this Chiefs team, but if anybody can beat them, it is this Ravens team because when I saw the Ravens play the Texans last week, I was curious to see how Houston would hold up against Baltimore. Baltimore ran them out of the building in the second half. And they could do that to Kansas City on Sunday. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I, I think we're in for um, whoever gets the ball last is going to win this football game. It should be a terrific Sunday of football. There's absolutely no question about that. Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. Jeff, I know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always, for the time. Let's do it again closer to free agency, and we'll kind of see where the lay of the land is heading into the NFL offseason. Appreciate you, my friend. Yeah, no problem, Ryan. Uh, I'll be going down to Florida in about a month for spring training, so uh, can't wait for that. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. We are down to the final four in the National Football League. Of course, in the AFC, you got Baltimore and Kansas City. In the NFC, you got San Francisco, and you have what appears to be now America's darling. The Detroit Lions, for the first time in over 30 years, are one win away from getting to the Super Bowl as they return to the NFC Championship game after a victory over Tampa Bay. Our guy up in Detroit is Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Nolan, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how about you? Nolan, we're good. Take us to Ford Field this past weekend. Boy, the scene against the Rams was electric, and watching the game against the Buccaneers – Boy, they brought it again. What an atmosphere up there. Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting to see uh, going into the game how they were going to match it, whether they were going to be able to, to take it up a notch. or you know, There was so much emotional charge in that game against the Rams on top of the fact that they were trying to win their first playoff game in you know, 30-something years. And so uh, I was really curious to see how it, how it would, would go the next week. And uh, to the fans' credit, it really didn't change. I mean, they were still out there. Uh, an hour before game time, chanting, cheering very loudly, making the stadium sound like it was full long before it actually was. And so, uh, yeah, they, they brought it again. It was loud in there. Uh, I could barely hear. And, uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah, Jaguar Hall of Famer Tony Baselli was on the call for, I believe, Westwood One on Sunday. And I heard him uh, earlier on our radio station say it was deafening. You just cannot hear yourself very, uh, very clearly there in Detroit. The crowd was absolutely nuts and you look at the game Nolan I mean it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows for Detroit much like the Rams game it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination but yet when it came time to get it done in the fourth quarter the Lions once again were able to do just that no yeah that's kind of what you've seen all season long with this team it's something that a lot of Lions fans just aren't used to seeing you know typically when those moments come up it's it's the other team who makes the play or it's 
you know, it's the Lions who who aren't ready for the moment. And so uh, the the Buccaneers kept pressing them yesterday, and they kept making big play after big play. That throw to Amon Ross St. Brown to go up 31-17 uh, ended up being the difference in the game. And that was after a, a, a drive and a score by the Buccaneers. It was kind of deflating. Um, you know, they, they had done all this work to kind of keep them at arm's length heading into the, the last stretch of the game. And then uh, on a third and 10 after – you know, the refs may have missed Baker being down. Dan Campbell maybe missed uh, throwing the challenge flag there. Buccaneers score. Uh, you know, it, it was very much how are the Lions going to respond because historically uh, the response is, is not great. And they continue to, to kind of shed those historic uh, traits and, and just keep making plays and keep finding ways to squeak out victories. Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Nolan, one of the things I was curious about and it's no fault of Detroit. I mean, it's kudos to the two coordinators, and it's the way things work in the NFL. But my goodness, you got interviews galore for both your defensive coordinator and your offensive coordinator leading up to the game. Obviously, a lot of distractions there, but yet it didn't seem to affect either guy. Yeah, and this is uh, it's it's the first time that that people around here have really had to go through that. I think it was. Uh, you know, kind of humorous a little bit. All of a sudden, the the Lions fans are for so long they're they're used to being on the other side and needing to talk to that coach and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, it's them, and they're like, "Wait a minute, this this isn't right," you know. Um, so it, it's it's been kind of funny to see that flip. But yeah, no, you make a good point. The uh, they, both of those guys were under an incredible amount of stress this week, uh, both with you know trying to to fulfill their obligations to their team as well as achieve their personal dreams. So. Um, Obviously, at the end of the day, they were able to, to do just enough to get it done and you know, be curious to see uh, how their interviews went. You know, you look at the offense, and one thing really stood out to me, and it's bittersweet for us here in Jacksonville, Nolan, because we look at Detroit, and we thought that was going to be us. You know, Detroit in the mm -hmm. NFC, Jacksonville in the AFC, the your, your team you cover is living it. The team I cover has been on the sideline for two and a mm -hmm. half weeks. Uh, the offensive line, man. I mean, you know, Jared Goff is very good. Naman Ross St. Brown and that running game. But Jacksonville, we have a very good skill position set too. But our offensive line was horrible at the end of the year. The Detroit yeah. offensive line, you got some dudes up there, man. And that really stands out every week that I watch this team. Yeah, they're dudes. They can, uh, they're they're unbelievable football players, but they're also, you know, unbelievably tough too. I think Frank Ragnow sprained his knee and his ankle after uh, getting rolled up on during a third down sack yesterday in the first half. Went back in there, played the rest of the game. Jonah Jackson had meniscus surgery. Uh, he's hoping to play, um, you know, in, in the Super Bowl if they get that far. Frank had had meniscus surgery earlier in the year. Uh, Panay, I, I believe it was uh, on PFF, the highest graded run blocking game of, of all time. So um, yeah, at, at pretty much every level of that line, they've been, they've been feeding it to teams. And that was definitely one of the things to watch yesterday was how they were going to hold up against the Tampa Bay blitz. They didn't always hold up super well at times in the first meeting. And uh, I thought they did an unbelievable job despite losing Jonah Jackson uh, in the first half. You had Coyote, uh, I was seek out there um, and he, he played really, really well. So uh, definitely just, it, it really is kind of the, the secret sauce that makes it all work, you know, keeping Jared Goff upright, making sure he doesn't have to leave the pocket uh, and is able to, to kind of keep the timing of that offense uh, on track. 
couple of more for Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News, talking Lions, again, the Lions and the 49ers in the NFC Championship game coming up on Sunday. You mentioned Jared Goff, Nolan. How would you assess his performance? He was very good against the Rams. From my eye, he seemed to be very good against Tampa as well. What were your thoughts? No, yeah, he he made the throws when he needed to, and um, I, I think that that is the one thing you've been able to say about Jared Goff over the the better part of these last two seasons is that when the Lions have needed to make a play and he's needed to make a throw, he's made that throw. Um, you know, there were there were a couple points in yesterday's game. Uh, there was a third down throw to, to Amon Ross St. Brown where St. Brown had to come back for it. And it was an unbelievable job by St. Brown to get it across the line, but it was a, it was a good throw to get it there. And then uh, for the, the touchdown that put him up 31, 17, it was another phenomenal throw, um, you know, on the fade, just kind of putting it where only his receiver could get it. And, uh, you know, time and time again, that's just kind of been what he does. And I think a lot of people um, have just been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop uh, in Detroit because of the way that things ended in Los Angeles. But uh, they're going to keep waiting for a long time because he's playing really good football right now. You know, Dan Campbell, I assume I know the answer to this, Nolan, but I'll ask you anyway. I mean, I'm assuming he could run for mayor in that city and he would win in a landslide right now. Yeah, I, I think he could maybe even run for governor. I don't know. You know, the statewide appeal, there's a lot of Green Bay Packers fans in the Upper Peninsula, but I don't know, man. I think they might even even see the uh, the benefits in, uh, you know, having, having Dan Campbell in public office. He's just a, he's, he's a leader of men, and, you know, that's something that we kind of heard about him from, from the moment he came in. Um, but you never know how the, these things are going to go and, you know, how, how they're going to be able to manage people and if they're going to be able to remain the same when times get tough. And that's exactly what he did, and, and that's a big part of the reason why they're here is because he did go through some tough times, but he never really changed his approach. He remained process-oriented like they, they talk about all the time, and um, they're starting to, to yield those results now. You know, we'll get to the game in one second as we begin to wrap up, but you talked last week, I believe, about your parents when you joined me, and, and I want to say I saw a picture or something you posted on social media <laughs> about your parents really soaking in the first success Detroit's had in 30-plus years. I mean, that's got to be so cool for, for you who covers the team. I mean, obviously, you're an objective sports journalist like I am, and I get that, but at the end of the day, you've lived in that city and covered that team for a long time, and to see you know your parents enjoy what's going on up there, that had to be a pretty cool moment for you. A hundred percent. It's it's one of the things that that makes it all special, and it's a lot of the reason why I, I became a sports writer in the first place is that passion uh, and that that love of the game. And yeah, I don't know if I shared this last week, but it, it's been really cool. You know, they they have. Seats where I can basically see them from the press box. So I always, after a big play or, you know, when they start taking the knees at the end of the game, the crowd's going crazy. I'll, uh, I'll you know, do the binoculars down, see see how they're reacting. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's 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 been amazing. And you've seen so many stories come out uh, of people who, during these wins, they're, they're thinking about uh, the people who gave that love of the game to them and, and the people they shared those past memories with. So uh, it is really hard to conceptualize in the moment um, uh, on a bigger picture sense. Uh, but I, I just know and I've seen how big of a difference and, and how meaningful it's been on, on a micro sense. And uh, one day I'll be able to appreciate it all. And, and you know, I'll realize that this was the greatest story of, of my lifetime. Final moments, Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. Let's get to Sunday. I told my San Francisco guy earlier in the week, other than the organization and the people in that stadium on Sunday, everybody else in America 
is going to be rooting for the Detroit Lions. I mean, they are America's darlings right now. And uh, it'll be interesting, and they take this show onto the road. I've heard from a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of talk on social media, San Francisco's got a good fan base, but they're expecting a lot of blue in Santa Clara on Sunday. Is that your understanding as well? Well, it certainly wouldn't be surprising given the way that they've traveled uh, over the course of the season. And, and it really hasn't mattered where uh, these games have been, whether it's been in Green Bay or whether it's been in Los Angeles or, you know, whether it's been down in New Orleans or Tampa or, or whatever. Um, you know, they, they've been traveling everywhere. So I would definitely expect uh, a sizable Lions contingent at this game as well. And talk about the game itself. Obviously, you knew you were probably going to have to go through San Francisco. Now, they survived in advance. They struggled with Green Bay, but they found a way to get it done in the fourth quarter. What's your early thought on Lions 49ers on Sunday? I think the Lions can give them uh, can give them a run for their money. I definitely think the Lions can win. I think the spread is kind of interesting, seven points. I wonder, uh, you know, it was the same spread as it was, I believe, against the Packers. Um and, and I'm interested to see them be the underdog again. I think that that has been one of the more, uh, I guess, just different things about these these recent games that they've played is not only have they won them, but they've been expected to win going in. They've been the favorite going into these games. And so now they're the, under, the underdog, which is a spot that, you know, since Dan Campbell took over, they've, they've really thrived in. You think back to that uh, Week 18 game at Green Bay, uh, to close the season last year, which they won. You think about going on the road to beat Kansas City in week one this year. This team is built for these big moments on the road. And, um, you know, it, obviously you would always want home field advantage, but I, I think based on what we've seen from this team uh, this year on the road in these big spots, I think they'll be just fine. Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. If it doesn't go Detroit's way on Sunday, Again, it would be a big disappointment at the time, but you and I just alluded to it from your parents to everything that's gone on there in the Motor City, really the entire season. If it doesn't go Detroit's way on Sunday, I mean, how will it be looked at? This has still got to be the most overwhelming season of success that Detroit's had in three-plus decades, correct? A hundred percent, and the thing about it is, you know, there, there will be more seasons where they win playoff games, uh, you would like to think, and there will be more seasons where – um, it's possible that they're going to be a Super Bowl contender, but there will never be a season like this again, where the catharsis and the where 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 the excitement is fulfilled and then met with the catharsis and, and the thirty years and, and all that other stuff. But I was thinking about this yesterday, just you know, from from here on out, and I'm sure you guys experienced this in Jacksonville after you guys made your AFC Championship run. From from here on out, the second they lose their next game. Um, you know, that you, you have your little grace period to kind of moan and, you know, you, you'll always remember this season super, super fondly. But then from that here on out, you know, these next seasons are all about getting it done and your window and, oh my gosh, you know, th this needs to happen or otherwise this guy needs to get paid next year and this team's going to look different and, and all these other things. And so um, I think that's what I've been trying to keep in perspective is just the, the idea that this is an ongoing uh, story that's, that's truly just, exceeded all expectations of of this season both for people in Detroit people outside of it um and it'll never be able to be uh you know created again I know I'm looking forward to it no question about it Nolan final question what happens on Sunday can Detroit go in there and win that game I'm gonna say they can I'm always the optimist uh amongst our group over here at the Detroit News uh I I have no idea what kind of game it's gonna be 
Uh, but I would imagine that it's it's probably pretty similar to the ones that they've played uh, over these last few and the ones that San Fran played the other day. So I'm going to say Lions 24, Niners 21. We'll, we'll go with that. I'm rooting for Detroit just because I want to see what will happen in Detroit-Michigan Sunday night if the Lions yeah, win no that kidding. game. No kidding. That'll be absolutely incredible. Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News. Nolan, I know you're busy, man. Thank you so much for joining us. We certainly appreciate it. If the Lions get it done, brother, I'm sure we'll be dialing your phone next week. Absolutely. I'll be around. I I appreciate it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And then there were four. Divisional weekend was fantastic. Championship Sunday should be even better of course, the Jaguars are not involved in any of this as they are well over two weeks in now to their offseason. With all that being said, let me welcome in my friend Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. He does a terrific job covering the National Football League, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ryan, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Ryan. Appreciate you always having me on. Hey, Ryan, thank you for the time. And all right, divisional weekend. Certainly lived up to the hype. Couple of games right down to the wire. Let's talk about the four, the game first. That was a blowout. Although it was a tie game at halftime, Houston Baltimore. But my goodness, Baltimore flexes their muscle in the second half to eliminate the Houston Texans. Yeah, Baltimore is extremely impressive, Ryan. And I think really it starts uh, in the trenches on the other side of the ball and the additions that they've made over these last few years. I think you look at the core of that offensive line with a guy like Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. You look in the defensive side of the ball and the production that they've got from a guy like Justin Matabike this year playing one and three tech. It's just sensational. And then they have guys behind them. The addition they made to bring in a guy like Roquan Smith to pair with Patrick Queen. Kyle Hamilton quickly working up to an all-pro type of season that he had in Baltimore. And they blew out the Texans. There was a ton of attention on Houston for me. I remember way back in August, I was chatting with you, Ryan, and I thought that Houston was going to surprise some people. And they did. And they had a heck of a year. And I think everyone can agree they're going to be around a long time. But there's a difference where it's just not their time right now. And you look at Mike McDonald and that defense for Baltimore now next week preparing for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. I can't wait to see that. Lamar and Patrick Mahomes in the conference championship is just sensational. But either side of the ball, Baltimore can beat you, whether you want to have a shootout, whether you want to have a slow-paced game where it's a 13-10 type of ball game. Baltimore is fantastic. However, I do think there's a lot of appreciation that's needed to be said about what we saw from D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud and the roster that they built immediately working up to just a sensational year right in the AFC South. Now, I know a lot of people – would have liked to have seen the Jaguars win the South, get in the playoffs, and I understand that. But now with the Texans there, that's absolutely a roster you're going to have to compete with for not just the next two, three years, but with C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, and that core for the next potential decade as well. Ryan, it was a year ago yesterday the Jaguars played Kansas City tough and lost, and then the thought was, well, Jacksonville's here, right? They have arrived, and then that completely was crushed and destroyed in the last six weeks of the year. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But everybody's saying the same thing about Houston now. Surprise team, catches a team from behind in the year, wins the division, wins a playoff game. Why will Houston next year be any different than Jacksonville was this year? Yeah, I think when you look at D'Amico Ryans, I think D'Amico, when he was in San Francisco, I just loved his mentality. I think it goes even back to his his core values, which are swarm, S-W-A-R-M, for, for his defense, just getting after people. And the additions that he made, it's not just, again, what you do on day one and in the second round of the draft. It's how you build 
even moving into day three and guys he he added like Xavier Hutchinson or a guy like he added from Penn State and Juice Scruggs along the defensive line that offered them some center and guard versatility. They're just so young at their positions and the ability to immediately improve is what I expect from this Houston roster. So, and it starts under center, right? The most important position in American sports. So I think a lot of Jacksonville fans out there would like to see them kind of have a New York Giants type of slip up to where the Giants were good in 2022 and then they kind of came back to earth in 2023. But the way in which both of those rosters are constructed are very different. And that's why I think I look at Houston moving into 2024, again, under the leadership and tutelage of D'Amico Ryans, who is one of my favorite head coaches in football, and that core of C.J. Stroud. Uh, that's why I'm so positive moving forward for Houston. I don't think they're going to have a lapse, at, at least I expect, moving into next year. Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. Ryan, it's all about survive in advance. That's what we hear this time of year. And that was never more true than San Francisco. I think Green Bay, you could argue, outplayed them for a majority of that game. But in the end, San Francisco survived and they advanced over the Packers. Yeah, I think the 49ers show you every single week that they can beat you in a variety of ways because it wasn't the Debo Samuel game. It wasn't the Brandon Ayuk game. I know Debo had the injuries uh, off and on in that football game. It was George Kittle, it was Jawan Jennings, and of course Christian McCaffrey. It seems like every game he gets in the end zone two or three times, and that's fine. That's that's where they're. He's the hefty straw that that stirs the drink on offense. But they can beat you in a variety of ways, just like Baltimore can. And I think for me right now, when I look at the conference championship matchups, I'm most likely going to pick Baltimore and, and San Francisco to come out of their respective conferences. Not just because they're the one seeds, but just because they can win in a variety of ways, whatever the game flow and game script may take them. But I agree with you. And with Green Bay, I assume they're going to lock up Jordan Love for a long time. There, I think he had a heck of a year. Obviously, the late interception, right, the three sins of quarterbacking, you don't want to throw it across your body, over the middle of the field, and late to end their season. That's obviously going to be a sour taste in the mouth of Packer fans for a long time, but he absolutely looks like their core. The young guys on the perimeter, I mean, you can go on and on with the names that they have there. They're excellent. I'm excited to see them and how they progress moving forward. But I completely agree with you, Ryan, that Green Bay outplayed San Francisco for a long time. However, at the end of the day, 49ers scored just at least one more point than Green Bay, and they're back in the NFC title game under Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. That's high um, expectations, but – Jordan Love looks like he's going to be something because he was pretty good down the stretch, albeit that last interception there that did cost him the game. And then yesterday, Detroit and Tampa, how did Dan Campbell and general manager Brad Holmes do this? I mean, Detroit to me, Ryan, it was bittersweet here in Jacksonville. That's everything we thought the Jaguars were going to be in 2023. That's what the Detroit Lions are in reality. Yeah, and I I extremely respect the job that Brad Holmes did, GM of the Lions, in the draft this year, in drafting a guy like Jameer Gibbs. Everyone talks about how running backs are overvalued and you don't need to take a guy on day one. Well, you saw the impact Jameer had splitting time most of the year with David Montgomery or taking a linebacker like Jack Campbell in the first round that a lot of teams really undervalued or underappreciated in this class or getting a guy like Brian Branch and bringing in a guy like C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Those guys aren't just names on a depth chart and on a spreadsheet. They're guys that can suit up every week for you and produce in a variety of ways, whether it's defensively in the run game or pass game, or it's on offense in the pass game or run game like Jameer Gibbs was. So I just think the way that they built this roster and then they have a leader like Dan Campbell to where he gets everybody fired up and their hair on fire to go and attack you every single down, 
I love to see it. I love the underdog story, Ryan. Detroit has not been good for a long, long, long time. They haven't even been to a Super Bowl, let alone losing a Super Bowl. I would love to see them take down San Francisco next week. I think that'd be great for the NFL and a hell of a story for Detroit. But the way in which they built this roster, Ryan, laying the foundation with guys like Aiden Hutchinson, and then just building it up, bringing in Jared Goff, a cast off with Ben Johnson, who's going to go elsewhere as a head coach this offseason. And now they're here in the NFC title game. And again, show that they can win in a variety of ways, both defensive battle or score 30 plus like they did against the veteran Tampa unit. Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. And then finally, the nightcap on Divisional Weekend was the best game. It had all the expectation coming in and certainly lived up to it as Kansas City does it to Buffalo again. And we'll get to Kansas City in a moment, Ryan, when we preview the AFC title game. But as far as Buffalo goes, that felt like the end of something last night. I don't know necessarily what it was the end of. I know they're over the cap. They got like 25 free agents. Some of those guys, a majority, probably won't be back. I don't think Buffalo is going to fall off the face of the earth, but I think this group that the Bills have had for the last three, four, five years, I think there's going to be a lot of turnover on that roster. That felt like the end of that last night to me. Yeah, I think I'm there with you. I just don't know if it's a whole get rid of Josh Allen or get rid of Sean McDermott or, you know, fire the GM. I just – I don't see that with this organization right now, specifically because this was a team that was six and six and then battled their way to the playoffs. And there's a team that also fired their offensive coordinator and worked through the wrinkles that Joe Brady offered for that football team. And, but at the end of the day, it almost comes down to Ryan. For me, it's just consistently running into the buzzsaw. That is Patrick Mahomes in the fricking divisional round. For Buffalo, it's every single year. And I know people were excited that, oh, it's Patrick Mahomes on the road or it's Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. That's the conversations last year. And they still cannot get the job done. So I'm there with you. I think change is needed. But this roster, this organization is still extremely talented. But what is lacking? Something is lacking. But just the way for me, Ryan, the way I feel is – it might just be trying to avoid Patrick Mahomes every single year in the playoffs. And it's just, it seems like every year they face him in the divisional round and they cannot get over the hump. So I don't know if it's a full scorched earth policy where they're going to blow everything up. I, I don't see that at all. Cause again, they have their core in Josh Allen, but for me, Stephon Diggs remains uninvolved through the last month of the season. I have not seen it. Khalil Shakir, every time he gets the ball, it's someone that we say, why doesn't he get the ball more? The defense is, at the end of the day, guys like Vaughn Miller, Ed Oliver, they're aging for this uh, this defense side of the ball. So I, I don't know what Buffalo does. I just think when you're 6-6 six and six and you fire offensive coordinator and you continue to try to push towards the playoffs and you do and you get here and you just face 15 and you just can't get past the guy, you just throw your hands up in the air and say, what do we have to do now? Yeah, I was listening to Buffalo Radio this morning, and it's like Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, like they stood in the locker room for a while last night. It felt like the end for them, for the Bills. I know uh, Hyde's a free agent. I think Poyer's got one year mm-hmm. left on his deal. Gabe Davis, who didn't play last night, he's a free agent. They got a lot of guys they got to figure out what to do with, and they are massively over the cap already. So we're going to see a lot of turnover in Buffalo. All right, that gets us to Championship Sunday before we end with the Jaguars. Again, Ryan Fowler of Bleacher report Ryan let's begin right there in the AFC it's Mahomes it's Lamar and amazingly and I can't believe this it's the first time the AFC championship game 
will be played in Baltimore for the Ravens. All those great Baltimore teams, they've never had an AFC championship game at home, which is shocking to me. What a scene that should be on Sunday afternoon. I can't wait. It's, it's nice to see an, an AFC championship game not in New England, not in Kansas City, or not in Buffalo. Really, I, I'm really excited to see it. Um, Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes are not just two headlining athletes at the quarterback position, not just in the NFL, but I think two of the most gifted athletes uh, in any sport, in, in American sport, if you, if you want to go there. I I cannot wait. I am so pumped up. It's The thing. best thing in, in competitive sports is good on good or good bump. And Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes is about as good as you get. Both guys at the top of their game for a chance to get to Vegas and the Super Bowl. It, I, I, it's just sensational. Now, I do think from a fundamental perspective, from a roster and execution from what we've seen in the last month, month and a half, I do think the Ravens should win this ball game, And I do think they will win the ball game. But I, I can't sit here and, and bet against Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I don't want to be like, you know, he's Brady, but he's almost to that point now, Ryan, for me, to where as long as he's out there and he's leading the charge for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I know a lot of Jaguars fans aren't going to like this, but as long as he's in the AFC, I'm absolutely going to give my cap to Patrick Mahomes as far as until someone beats him, I'm going to pick him every single time. He's earned that. I don't know where I'm at with the game. It's early in the week. I'm going back and forth, but – there's something about 15, man. He looks motivated. He looks angry when he was yeah. running off that field in Buffalo last night, and I wonder if he can take that uh, momentum into Baltimore again. You go into Buffalo and win, you got to turn right back around and go into Baltimore. That is going to be a tall order for the Chiefs, and that gets us to the NFC. Outside of San Francisco fans, Ryan, and anybody associated with that organization, everybody else on the planet is going to be rooting for the Detroit Lions. They are the darlings right now of the National Football League. What a story it would be. Uh, I can't imagine San Francisco has another bad game because I did not think they played well against Green Bay. And I wonder how Detroit will be on the road after those back-to-back home games. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really fun ball game, specifically because of the styles of the Lions. Right, You have a defensive-minded young head coach in, in Dan Campbell, and then you have Kyle Shanahan, one of the most unique offensive minds in the game. So in a day and age where we want to have 40-plus points up on the board every single day, and that's what Kyle Shanahan does, Dan Campbell wants to keep you under 25 and, meantime, allow his offensive skill players in the way they built up with young guys like Amandra St. Brown, Sam Laporta, and Jameer Gibbs, among others. And obviously what they've been able to do, of course, uh, with Jared Goff, who's a little bit of a throwback type of, of quarterback at the position, um, but this is going to be a really fun battle. I hope the weather stays clear out there in San Francisco. A lot of the time we see a lot of rain. We saw it against the Packers. Just a neutral environment to where we can see the best from both of these football teams. And hoping the same thing in Baltimore to where there could be you know, cold. It could be snow. It could be sleet. Just give us a high 60s day in San Fran and let these two teams go at it. Because I- I'm right there with you, Ryan. I'm so excited to see these, both these teams just battle each other face-to-face, knock their chin straps off on each other. Physical football is what you want moving into the later portions of January and for a trip to go to the Super Bowl. I would love to see Detroit make it. I think it's going to take a hell of an effort from Jared Goff. Um, So right now I I will pick the Niners for this football game, but I think you look at both sides of the ball for either team. You can pick spots here and there where their matchups are going to win. But I look at San Fran and I see the lack of corner talent for the Detroit Lions fundamentally really outside of Brian Branch. And the ways in which San Fran can beat you with so many guys. And it's not George Kittle or it's Debo. It's not Debo, it's Brendan Ayuk. And then there's Jawan Jennings. And then there's, of course, 
Christian McCaffrey. So I'm going to go San Fran for now, but I'm right there with you in that. I'll probably be rooting for Detroit in that ballgame. Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. All right, Ryan, that brings us to the Jaguars as we round it out. You and I haven't spoken since around Thanksgiving, and at that point, all was right with the world, right? The Jaguars were 8-3 and three and things were great, and then they have the biggest late-season collapse in the history of the franchise. I can tell you it's been over two weeks, and people here have still not gotten over it. And they better get over it pretty quick because the Jaguars have a lot to figure out, including Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley, who are both uh, to become unrestricted free agents here in less than eight weeks' time. Ryan, your thoughts on on what happened here in Jacksonville, man? Oh, man, I I don't know what happened in Jacksonville. It's a shame. It really is. Uh, This was a team, an organization that was looked upon, and we talked about it, Ryan, as far as taking that next step. And I love the relationship that we saw moving in to 2023 with with Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson and how last season ended and saying this is a roster that's going to continue to get better. There's young pieces on either side of the ball. I was excited for the final stretch of the season to say, look, Jacksonville's going to take that step. Trevor Lawrence made really the last month of the season at times played a lot of hero ball to where he didn't get a lot of protection from this, especially the interior of the offensive line. Or when they came off the field, there was no push from the defensive front, specifically within the interior, outside or on the edge with, with Josh Allen. So there are so many pieces in Jacksonville, but it just comes down to, Ryan, you don't win games on a spreadsheet. And at the end of the season, when you think there'd be a bigger spotlight on these guys' games to turn it around, at least try to win two, three games at the end of the year to get yourself not just winning the AFC South, but trying to get in the wild card spot and give yourself a chance where anything can happen and everyone – is that zero and zero? I don't know if Doug Peterson's voice went mute in the locker room. I don't know if they got complacent with saying, you know, well, we're going to kind of maybe tailor it back a little bit. And then in the last three, four weeks of the season, we're going to really turn it on. And that obviously did not happen. Yeah, of course, the 26 nothing shutout to the Carolina Panthers looks good, but the Carolina Panthers look like a high school varsity team this year. Then you lose by eight to the Tennessee Titans. You lose, you get crushed on the road by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where you score 12 points, which is sorry, considering the talent that I think. The Jacksonville Jaguars have on the offensive side of the ball. And at times, Ryan, and I hate to say this, but the Jaguars look soft to me. They look like a soft football team. Now, I don't know if that comes down on Peterson. I don't know if that comes down on individual players or Trent Baalke, because I know he's had a ton of heat these last few weeks. But you took Brenton Strange with high draft capital and Tank Bigsby with high draft capital. And really, the best rookie you could say, one of them that got barely any snaps was Antonio Johnson from Texas AM. So I'm right there with you. Josh Allen is a free agent. Do you, do you bring him back, Calvin Ridley? What do you do at those core positions moving forward? Because I'm not going to sit here and say that the Houston Texans are by far the best team in the AFC South moving forward. They're the favorites right now because they won the division, as Jacksonville was heading into 2023. But fundamentally, and what I see from this Jacksonville roster and how they should improve, hopefully, in free agency in the draft, is a team that should have a lot of success moving forward. It's just... I think the voice of Doug Peterson potentially went mute in that locker room, and you saw the effects of it. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I also think, I mean, the Jaguars did not go 13-4 and four last year. They did not go 15-2. and yeah. two. They were a 9-8 and eight football team that had to win five in a row just to get in the playoffs. And for the Jaguars, and particularly Trent Baalke, to essentially say, we're good. We're going to re-sign a couple of guys. We're going to run it back. Yeah. We're good. They didn't do anything in free agency. They didn't adjust anything to be able to bring in veterans. 
Ah, that looks very bad now, and that will not be the case moving forward. And I don't care what they do, Ryan, in free agency or the draft. Uh, They can do anything they want. They better bring in some offensive linemen because you can have the greatest quarterback and the greatest wide receivers and running back on the planet. If you don't have an O-line that can block for them, that's going to be a problem, and we saw that all year here in Jacksonville. Again, Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. Ryan, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about Bleacher Report and what you guys have coming up over the coming days and weeks. Yeah, absolutely. In less than a week, I'll be down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. All my coverage will be on my Twitter as well, at underscore Ryan Fowler. And then I have a lot of articles, including more audio and video content at Bleach Report and also on thedraftnetwork.com. Absolutely fantastic. It's a great time of year for the uh, Senior Bowl and obviously the NFL Draft coming up just around the corner. Ryan Fowler of Bleach Report. Ryan, I know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Always thank you, Ryan. And thank you to Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, well, it's all about Trent Baalke. He met the media earlier today. And look, I think if you did not like Baalke going into that press conference, you probably still do not like Trent Baalke. If you think Baalke's done an adequate job, that probably didn't change your mind either. I don't know how many opinions got swayed with what Balky had to say. My overwhelming thought on the Balky press conference today, and I've shared this all evening, is this. Um, I think he's done some good things as Jacksonville Jaguar general manager. I would think it would be disingenuous to say that he has not done some good things, particularly when it comes to free agents, Christian Kirk, Foyer Lewican, Evan Ingram, uh, Zay Jones, when healthy, just to name a few. Uh, he has drafted terribly. Uh, I think that's we're at that point. The drafts have not gone well, uh, particularly in the mid to late rounds. He has not drafted well at all in the last three drafts. So there's some good. There's certainly some bad. You shake it all out. You try to be as objective as possible. I would give Trent Baalke a C, a C minus after three years. I understand the people that want him gone. I understand the very few people that think he's done okay. I'm not sure that anybody's wrong, but I go back to one glaring thing, and he even talked about it today, the pass rush, right? We knew in May, June, July, August, end of the season, we all knew, fans and media, that they had nothing behind Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. Nothing. In every press conference we went to, every time we talked to Doug Peterson or Trent Baalke, we're going to let the young guys develop. We got some young talent on this team. They were relying on Dewan Smoot coming back off an Achilles, and they were relying on Calavon Chason and Yasir Abdullah, who they drafted in the fifth round. Baalke alluded to that today. You're paying a general manager millions of dollars who did not see what we all saw, that's a problem. And that is a problem that I don't know what I could even say about it to put a positive spin on it. Can Balky get back in my good graces? Yeah, he can. But the fact that they did not address that pass rush when we all knew it was a problem, I guess everybody on planet Earth outside of that building knew it was a problem, that's that's tough. 
that's going to be tough for him to overcome, at least in my eyes. Well, that'll just about do it. It has obviously been a very busy evening here on Hacker After Dark. Glad to be back with you after a one-day hiatus, a uh, little hack. Boy, he got something at VPK. He brought it home, and it annihilated me yesterday. Um, I'm back to about 75% today, I'll say that. I was glad to be back in front of this microphone with you here tonight on 1010XL. We got a ton of people to thank. Again, Ryan Fowler of Bleacher Report. Thank you to Nolan Bianchi of the Detroit News covering the Lions and the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. Thank you to my buddy Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, previewing the championship Sunday. And, of course, former Jaguar wide receiver Cecil Shorts, who's with us here every week. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.